You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah, a sermon from our series entitled House Rules, a study on the book of 1 Timothy. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Go ahead, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Timothy. If you don't, there should be one in front of you. You can grab that one. Um, we're get, we've been in this book for a while. We're kind of in the home stretch, but uh, if you don't know where 1 Timothy is, it's okay. Go to the table of contents and just find it. It's in the New Testament. All the books in the Bible that begin with the letter T are right next to each other. Thessalonians, Timothy, and then Titus. So they're kind of towards the back. Just kind of an update for you guys. We've got a lot going on, even though we're kind of moving into summer. Some of you guys are done. Some of you college students are home. Um, and uh, we, I want to put on your radar, it wasn't announcements because it's a little bit out there, but on June 10th, we're going to have a family meeting on Sunday evening. And so we're just going to kind of twice a year, we're going to have these family meetings so we can kind of just get big picture updates. Got a lot of kind of big picture updates, some, uh, some new transitioning on staff. We have some guys that are going out to start something new. And so there'll be a lot of information. We've got some elders coming into the room we want to introduce you. So there's just a lot going on. Um, that we're going to formally do then. So a lot of this is kind of floating out there now, so you may be hearing bits and pieces of things. But um, we're just going to kind of wait till that day to be able to get us all in the room on that evening if, uh, for the members. So, so just kind of hold on with that. Also, last week, uh, I wanted to give you an update. So we were trying to raise uh, money for a, a, a people group that have no copies of the scripture. And so there's a three-year project. It was $108,000 to get in their hand for the first time some of the Old and New Testament, so the book of Genesis, Ruth, Jonah, uh, the Gospel of Luke, and that is the people group that CBC Savannah is adopting. No other church in the world is, is adopting them. We, uh, that is our group. And so last Sunday, we, we committed to giving the entire of our giving uh, to that project, and so we were able to, as a church, you guys were able to, as a church, you raised, a, you gave about $103,000. So... Uh, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a generous guy, so I think we're just going to round it up and complete it and be done with it, right, and provide that. And so uh, I think that, that that'll be an easy sell to the budget team. Um, that, y'all, we just, I mean, you guys invested in eternity in a way that we, won't, we can't fathom. You are providing scripture, truth, gospel to people who have none, and there's no better investment than, than people and, and the word of God. And so... That's exciting. So now, you know, if there's 2,000 people groups in the world that don't have access to copies of Scripture, we're down to 1,999, all right? Okay. Hey, and if, and if the Lord tarries and I'm still here, I would love for our church to take care of 20 or 30 of those in the next 30 years. Um, that, I mean, can you imagine the impact in eternity? Y'all, you're going to be walking across the streets with some, some Uda people, and you're going to be like, you're welcome for Jonah, right? I mean, you know... <laughs> Not, not in a sarcastic way, but that, that's, you know, that's, that's exciting stuff. So um, appreciate y'all's generosity. Uh, God is very gracious to us. You guys are awesome. So uh, I have had in my life, and I've shared kind of the, with you with this, I've had many jobs, right? Especially when I was younger. I, you know, I worked at, to- at Kids R Us. I was the Care Bear. I was Tender Heart Bear. Um, I, was, I worked at a bagel shop. I was a, a custodian in my high school. I worked in a steel mill. I delivered infusion therapy drugs. I worked on mobile homes. I was a PE teacher. I was a high school baseball coach. One of the jobs I remember, I was 15 years old. I worked in a movie theater. Uh, I, I, I was a, for one summer, every teenage boy needs to be a landscaper. So I did landscaping for a summer. And uh, I don't remember much about that summer, but I was working for a guy at the church my parents went to. And I remember two things from that summer specifically, even today. Number one, my very first day, 
we went and we were weeding this, this, this older lady's garden and me and my buddy and, and it took us, we had this, there's this big plant and he's like, yeah, get all the weeds out. And so it looked like a weed and so we kind of spent 30 minutes digging this thing out, right? It was like super rooted, you know where this is going. And so we threw everything in the car, as we got in the car and all of a sudden this, this older lady starts yelling and screaming at the truck, stop, stop. And, they, and she just keeps yelling, they killed my chive plant, they killed my chive plant. And she's like, I had this 25 year old chive plant I planted when I moved into the house and, and it's. You know, they killed it. And so we had killed our chive plant. So we went in the trash bag and we kind of tried to put it all together and put it back in the ground. And I think it survived. I'm not sure. But I remember that. And, and there was another incident later on that summer um, where the, the boss, he kind of said, hey, you know, we're about to pack up. It's five o'clock. And he said, he gave me this task. Do this one last task as we clean up. And so I kind of did it half-heartedly. Didn't think anything of it. Um, and a couple days later, my dad grabbed me. And it was one of those dad-son talks, right? I'm 15. And he grabbed me and he said, hey, this guy goes to our church. He, he is being generous to you, paying you five bucks an hour, which is a lot of money back then. Um, and this is his livelihood. This is his career. And when you don't do a good job, that hurts him. That hurts you. There's all sorts of things. And he goes in, he goes to tell me this the job that I had done was, was slack. I was supposed to clean up some sand or something, and I just kind of half-hearted it. He said, he had to come behind you and clean that up. It's his reputation. And that conversation sticks out in my mind because I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed because I had done a lousy job, and I knew it. But I was also embarrassed because my dad got brought into this deal now. And I had embarrassed my family. And I'll tell you, the rest of the summer, that didn't happen. I learned a super valuable lesson about the idea of work that day. And now having done this kind of job for 11 years and having a little bit more clarity and actually having developed a little bit of a language about this theologically but kind of on a practical level, I, I got a lot of ideas from the scripture about this idea of work. And you've heard me bang this drum a lot. That's because the scripture speaks a ton about work, right? A ton about it. Uh, and, and the big idea is this. If you fall asleep, you're going to sleep in the next five minutes, okay, don't miss this, right? Is that your work, whatever that is, I work at home, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm a doctor, I'm a student, it is a deeply spiritual issue. It matters. Okay, that, that's the idea of the text we're going to look at today. Um, and, and really, y'all, this is a huge, when we talk about our vision, right, of, of us as a church, and, and again, I'm banging this drum because I want you, if you come to this church, you know what we're doing. So we gather to be equipped. There's, I think this passage today, we're going to look at two verses. It is a super equipping passage. It is so practical because we think about like, the, we separate the holy and the unholy things in our, in our culture and even in the church. I want you to see that your work is just as spiritual as you raising your hands in tenderness. you got to grasp that. And it's actually, to me, it may be even more so. Here's why. You spend maybe 90 minutes, two hours if you serve in the nursery, at church. Right? That's like 180th of your week. How much do you spend of your week working? I mean, if you're 40-hour a week, you're spending 25%. But if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're like 80, 90 hours. You're 50%. And then if you're doing things at home, your work, and I'm not just talking about job, just work in general, makes up an, an enormous part of your life, and it is worship, 
and it is super spiritual. Just, we, and I want us to see that, that it, it matters. It is a big piece of being the church, right? Because that is where you are most of the time. You are out there. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, why is it spiritual? How is it spiritual? And, and we're going to kind of grasp kind of what Paul's saying to Timothy and kind of apply it to our context, all right? So we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, and we're going to give you a couple other little passages as we kind of scan some things. Um, and if you're new, visiting, it's your first time, what we do typically about 75% of the time is we study through books of the Bible. So we started in January in 1 Timothy. Uh, we're coming to the end. 1 Timothy is a book. The Apostle Paul is kind of a protege to this young buck named Timothy. And he has to get out of Dodge to go off somewhere. So he leaves Timothy, this young 30-year-old kind of country dude with a little bit of weak stomach and he's a little timid. He leaves him in charge of this kind of mega church for the day in a big city and it's kind of hipster church. And he's got older and younger and all this diversity. And this book is basically what we've called house rules. It's just kind of the how the family works. How does church work? How does this interaction of us as a family work? And we've seen all sorts of things. And, and it's a challenge because there's all sorts of diversity. You got old and young, you got rich and poor, you got Jew and Gentile. One thing you have in this church is you have slave and free. All right? And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today because that's where he is going to go. Uh, about that. So let's, let's jump into verse 1. Let me read our text for today. Only got two verses. Please don't think you're getting out early. You're not. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So what's challenging about this passage is it's a completely different context. Because you have this idea of bond servants and masters. Some of your translations say slave or servant. Uh, you know, and, and what you often hear in the church is uh, a little bit of an overstatement on both sides. You'll hear that the, the slavery of the first century of the Roman Empire was not the same as what happened in our country 150 years ago. That is true. But you also hear it, that it's just like the boss-employer relationship of today. There is some elements, yes, but that's not completely true. The reality is there's a little bit of both, okay? It is very similar to the boss-employer context, but also it has some similarities with what took place in America in about 150 years ago, all right? There's components of both. In that culture of that day, the estimates are about 50% of the world was slaves, Bond servants, do losses is the Greek word. All right, fifty percent. That means when you're in the average church, whether there's fifty or hundred people, fifty percent of the people in the congregation are bond servants. And you could become a bond servant in many, many different ways. All right, you could be a conquered people. Remember, Rome was not exactly a, a, a republic, a democracy. There was no voting. Okay, Rome conquered, so you could be conquered. You could be captured at sea. Right, you could be born into this. Uh, one of the most common ways people became bond servants is they actually sold themselves into it, right? Because you wanted to advance, you wanted to move up, you wanted job security, so you would indenture yourself, seven years, ten years, whatever it is. Maybe you wanted to get to Rome where all the action was, so you would indenture yourself to this family, and you'd go to Rome with them, and then for ten years you would work off what you had borrowed, right? Um, so what, what you see in the first century, unlike the American uh, slavery that took place in this country, which was very racial, obviously. This was not as, there was some racial, racial ten, tensions there and pieces, but it was, it was more economical. You had all races, all ages, 
uh, involved in this rather than just one. And it wasn't just uh, there was those who were conquered, which took place in America. There was those who actually purposely did it. So it's not a, what I want you to see is, I'm not saying it's good, I'm just saying it's not a one for one. So when you see these passages, you understand it's not, a, it's an apples and oranges argument. There was clearly abuses then, just like there was horrible abuses in America, right? Just with the, even the concept of owning someone is just to us like, but the reality is in the world today, this still takes place. Um, but in, in that culture, a bond servant could be one of many jobs, you, whatever your, your owner, your master was, you were probably his apprentice. If he was a doctor, you were a doctor. If he was a teacher, you were a teacher. If he was a builder, you were a builder. If he was a plumber, you were a plumber. Whatever, you, whatever it is, you could own property. He could be in the government. It, 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 for us, it is a closer one-to-one in the, in the boss employee. It's not a perfect fit, but it is a closer deal. Um, without the clearly, I mean, there's, in their context, you were owned. You were legal property. Which to us is just, we can't fathom, but that, it was not that long ago, y'all, our country functioned that way. So, so we have to be sensitive to that. But I, what I want you to see is there's some similarities, but it's not a one for one. And it's sad that 150 years ago, texts like this were used to actually endorse what was taking place in America. And that was not the intent, because it wasn't the same, right? But what you have here is Paul dealing with what's going on. And the big question is, and, and, and people ask it all the time, is why doesn't Paul condemn it? Why doesn't he say, stop it, right? And a couple things. Number one, we don't know that he didn't, right? I mean, we, he didn't necessarily in these letters, but he could have written another letter to this guy, this guy, this guy, and say, this is wrong, this is wrong. We do know that he wrote a letter to a guy named Philemon where he told him, you need to let Onesimus, your slave who ran away, go free. And it's not that Paul's afraid of, of going up against the establishment. He's really not afraid of much. And he does that in Acts 16 anyway. So, it, so the question is, why does he not? You, but you have to understand, this is not America. <laughs> this is the Roman Empire. They could care less what you think. So there's no way to go before the Senate or the House or the, you know, the, the, the House of Commons, William Wilberforce. There's no avenue to do that. It is Caesar and that's it. So there's really no way to protest anyway if, if you wanted to do that. So what Paul does is, is deals with the reality of what is going on in his culture, but also what he does subtly is he actually is going after slavery. He's just actually going after it in a more effective way. He's going after the heart. Because you can, you can you know, put things in laws. and Laws don't typically change people. Proof positive. How many of you went 56 miles an hour on Truman this morning? Breaking the law on the way to church. How many of you text and drive? See, the law doesn't change your heart, you wicked texter drivers. The gospel changes the heart. So what Paul does is he kind of subversely, all he's trying to do is get these people to live out the gospel. Because when you're living out the gospel, you cannot look at that guy and say, I own him. You cannot look at, he is your brother, he is not your property. And so he kind of from the under, underneath, he actually does start spreading the gospel and encouraging living out the gospel. And what ends up happening is it ends up falling on his face a couple hundred years later. So it's not that he's going from the, the legislative way. He's actually going from the way that will truly change people, which is the heart. 
right? And that's what Peter does. That's what Paul does in other letters as he addresses what's going on. It's not appropriate for him here to get all political, but what he's going to do is, hey, 50% of your church is this and 50 is this. Here's how it works. And for again, for our context, probably the best one-to-one comparison is that employee-employer uh, relationship. And so that's kind of where we're going to zoom in today. But again, he goes back and he says in verse 1, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard your masters as worthy of honor. So the idea is you ought to respect your boss. All right? You ought to respect your boss. And, and notice there's no conditions there. Because the first thing you're thinking is, you don't know my boss. I know, because so, Americans are always looking for the out. Where's the escape clause? Okay, I'll do that, except in this case. Right? That's where we go. But he doesn't give the escape clause. He says, everybody, all, regard them with honor. Period. And there is a reason. Right? What is the reason? So that the name of God and the teaching, that is the Christian teaching, the gospel, may not be reviled. And it's the Greek word blasphemia. We get our English word blaspheme. So, so what he's saying, here's the big picture principle, all right? Here, here's kind of the overarching principle. How you work, how you respect your boss, how you perform at, at school, not necessarily grades, but the effort and, the, and what you're putting in, will bring either one of two things. It'll either bring credibility or it'll bring shame to the message of Jesus, to the cross, to the gospel. It's, it's, it's one or the other. That's the idea. The way you work will either bring credibility to the gospel or it'll bring shame to the gospel. Right? And, and there's all sorts of questions you ought to be asking. I talk to a lot of guys in our church, a lot of gals that are bosses, that are CEOs, that are officers in the military, that are teachers. And, and questions you ought to be asking is like this. What do I do? How, do? how do I handle my time at work? Am I on time? Do I leave early? Right? Am I late for meetings? Do I follow up well? Do I email people back that I send an email? Do I call people back? Do I show up with energy and initiative? Or on Monday morning, am I... Right? Just dragging through the day. Do I take long lunches? Right? Am I under authority well? I know we hate authority in America. Question authority. Reject authority. Authority is a biblical idea. Right? How do you handle it? Are you correctable? Is it always someone else's fault? Well, it's not me. It's not this. It's, can, can somebody actually say, hey, you need, to, you need to pick up the slack here? How do you speak to others about your boss, about your customers? All these factors. Do you complain? Do you lie? Do you exaggerate? Do, do you work as good with supervision as you do without? The boss leaves. I mean, high school students, this is a big one. If the teacher walks out of that room, how many people are like, <laughs> I went to a college, the teacher literally would put the test on the front table, and he'd walk out. Okay, we had an honor code. If you got caught cheating, you were gone. There was no grace. It was law. But you know what? No one cheated. But the idea was, I was like, I'm not looking up because I don't even want to see. But, but if, if supervision is there or not, do you work the same these are all things you got to think about, right? Because your goal at work, okay, wherever you're at, ought to be, and I know this is going to be hard for some of you, to make your boss look great. Some of the bosses are like, yeah. But that's, that should be the goal, that you make your boss, and you're like, my boss is a jerk. He thinks he's God. Yes, some bosses do. 
They actually do think that. They're not, but they think that. But, but the, the goal here and the idea is that, that your employer, your employee, uh, the guy over you, the gal over you, whoever you're super, ought to be like, where do they keep more of you? Because I want more of you. I mean, you know, the way you show up, the way you treat, the way you're kind, the way you're this, the way I can trust you. I need more of you. Do you have anybody like you back there? That is the goal, right? Because that is a hugely spiritual issue. I know it doesn't seem like that to some of you because you have this idea of churches over here and, you know, this is over here, all right? It doesn't feel like if I'm doing laundry that that's a spiritual thing. It doesn't feel like if I'm uh, serving coffee or, um, you know, whatever, studying for a test. Uh, that's because in our culture, I don't know where it came from, spirituality is how long you hang out at Starbucks and talk about spiritual things. That's spirituality in our culture. That it's a, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We had like, we had like a great four-hour quiet time this morning. It was great. Great. But that's, that's where we've gone. That's, that's spiritual, but it's not spiritual if I'm grinding it out under the house, setting up the plumbing. And, it, and we got to get that think, way of thinking out of our minds, right? Because it's not, it, it's not biblical. I'm not saying it's bad to be doing your quiet time at start. I'm not, I'm not slamming that. But I'm trying to get you to see that most people don't have the margin to do four-hour quiet times, right? They just don't. And that's not more spiritual than you teaching kindergartners down at Calvary, right? It's not. And here's why. A couple of reasons. Number one... Because Paul, elsewhere, tells us in Colossians 3, and again, this is very similar passage. He says, bond servants obey and everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. It's a very similar idea. And then in the very famous verse next, whatever you do, circle that in your mind. Whatever you do, baseball coach, homeschooling mom, small business owner, captain in the army, fill in the blank. Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. And, and I love this last phrase. You are serving the Lord Messiah. So what he's saying there ultimately is you think your boss is that dude that went to Georgia Southern that thinks he's God. He's not really God. But you are serving the real God. So your work ought to be heartily towards him right? Because he's the ultimate boss. And guess what? You may get this lousy paycheck, you're making minimum wage, whatever. Your inheritance will be big if that is the mentality you have. See, Jesus brings value to, to your work. And now what that means is your work is actually worship. If it's for the Lord, it's an offering to him, that means it worship. And it's when you are slack and you are lazy, that what you are saying is Jesus ain't worth nothing because worship is about worth. And so when you are just saying, eh, when I'm throwing sand and I'm not really doing the way I'm supposed to do, that's showing that I didn't think that my boss, that my dad, and that my God were worth much. It is a hugely spiritual idea. And not only that, work just in general is noble. It is a noble concept. The idea of sacrifice, endurance, perseverance, expending energy, creating, doing, doing things, struggling. And when you are lazy, and when you do a lousy job, and you're not bringing energy to that, you are proving that you are not noble. Right? That's what you're, that's what you're basically saying. And, and then, when you kind of try to bring Jesus into your life, and into your work, you invite your boss 
do church, come to Easter at CBC, or you talk about, hey, I got to go do my Bible study, and I got to go do this, and, and you're praying before your little meals and all that stuff, and you want to bring this no, the most noble of ideas about a creator king who becomes a man, who serves us, who lays down his life and sacrifices and pours everything out for us and loves us and blesses us. You want to bring that in, but you won't sacrifice yourself. You want to talk about how God blesses and God blesses, but you won't be a blessing to others. You want to talk about this idea of, of, of being oriented towards something and, and doing something great and noble, heading towards Jerusalem and, and offering yourself on a cross. You want to talk about the ultimate nobility and you won't be noble. He's, that is what he says. It brings reviling to God. It is a hugely spiritual issue. And the result is what we see on sitcoms. Typical Christian. Yeah. Bunch of Christians talk about God, can't trust him for nothing. Lie, don't show up on time, gossip, slander. And just like I drug my dad, not meaning to, but I did. I drug my dad into that whole thing, and I drug, you know, my, my reputation. That's what Christians do when they don't take work seriously. It's a huge spiritual issue, y'all. I just want, I keep hammering this, but I want you to see it. And, and, you know, Jesus says, let your light shine before men. They may see your great, good works and glorify your father. I mean, where does that take place? In church? Everyone's shining today. You got your makeup. I'm happy. Yay, singing. You don't talk about a church. I'm talking about when you're walking George's campus. He's talking about when you're downtown at that shop. He's talking about when you're driving the truck. That's when they're letting the light shine. Right? That's when God is getting glory. Big, spiritual, right? And, and, and again, let's answer the question. What if my boss is a slime ball? Some of your bosses are here. If you need me to rebuke them, raise your hand. <laughs> I see some of you bosses out there. I ain't going to get to you all today. I got a verse for you. Write it down. Ephesians 6, 9. That's for all bosses, right? You, you write that down. If you're an employee... You can, I give you permission, don't tell them it's from me. Get a little three by five card and put Ephesians 6, 9 and put it on their desk tomorrow. Basically says, if you're a boss, you ain't the boss, God's the boss, so you better watch out. That's my summary. <laughs> it says, he is not partial. So you, you, we don't have time for that, that's my sermon on that for bosses. What if my boss is a slime ball? Because look, I, and you have them, right? Right, you have them. And, and I'm not, just hear this, I'm not saying you should never not leave a job. Because I don't want you to think, oh, I have to spill. If, if God's leading you to another job, great. But if you think you're going to escape hard bosses just because you get a new job, then, you, then you're, you're not, okay? Right? But let me, let, me, let me give you a passage that deals with this. First Peter chapter 2. You can turn there or I'm going to have a slide. Here's what, what, here's what Peter says. Again, dealing with the same idea. Servants be subject to your master. Same idea, right? With all respect. You think somebody's writing the Bible here. Same, same spirit. Right? With all respect, not only do the good and gentle, but notice, not only do the good boss, because I'm a good boss. Let me just tell you right now, I'm a good boss, right? But not only the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Right? Here's what I want you to see. You think, oh man, my boss is so hard. You're not the first. 2,000 years ago, guess what? There was some mean dude at some, you know, port in Tarsus who was just crotchety and mad all the time. It's, it's always been that way. You're, you're, yes, it's hard, but it's not unique. And so he says, you need to respect even the bad boss. Why? This is a gracious thing. 
when mindful of God, and I love that phrase, we'll come back to it, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So what credit is there if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? So don't, don't talk about how you're suffering if you're watching cat videos on YouTube when you're supposed to be working and you get docked for pay. Don't talk about how that's suffering for Jesus. But if you do what is good and suffer for it and you endure, this is gracious in the sight of God. It's not that God is happy you're suffering. Yeah, you have to suffer. But there is a way, if you endure suffering when you are doing good. you got a bad boss. you got a bad home life. you got a bad school. Whatever it is. When you endure in that, it is pleasing to God. And the only way to do that is that little phrase, when you are mindful of God. When, when you remember, I'm working for the Lord Christ. I can deal with this cat. I can deal with that lady. I am mindful. Because there's something about enduring hardship that is revealing it just is revealing, right? When we face hard bosses, hard situations, and we endure because we're mindful of God, it is very revealing. And what I mean by this is, I can go to my daughter's volleyball practice tonight and practice for me who played sports at a competitive level and who coached is very revealing. Everyone on that team, if I ask them, you want to play college volleyball? Yeah, I want to play college. You want to play college? Every one of them is going to say they do. I can watch practice and I can see who wants to and who doesn't really want to just because I know. How the way, the way they practice, the way they look, listen to their coach, the way they hustle on and off, the way they work through drills, the way they treat their teammates, the way they roll their eyes or don't when the coach gives instructions. I can tell you right now who really wants it and who doesn't. Everyone says it, but I can tell you very quickly who really does and who really doesn't. What struggling and suffering does, it reveals what you really believe. Not what you say you believe, but what you really believe. Because what, what we we're saying when we endure is that I believe there's a God. I believe he sees. It's the sight of God. He is real. He sees. He is good. He can be trusted. And ultimately, he will judge. Right? I mean, look at the, look at the next passage. For, for you have been called to this, to suffer. Because, why? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example. He is the model. He is the example. You follow him, you're going to struggle like him. He committed no sin. He was, no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He didn't threaten. But he did what? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He realized God sees. God is good. I can trust him. He is a judge. And he will deal with this boss one day if he doesn't repent of his sin and believe in me. Right? And you don't need to deal with him. God will deal with him. But it reveals what Jesus believed about the Father. When you endure well, that guy that's a jerk tomorrow who's looking for you to come in and he's going to slam, when you can endure that well, it reveals what you believe about God. And I know, because it's like, well, that's not fair. You're right. It's not fair. Right? I mean, you don't need to be your mom, me, your, me, your mom and say, that's not fair. I'm a fair guy. I'm a justice guy. That's just, I'm a firstborn. I'm a rule follower. I mean, I'm the guy on I-16 when it says, get over in the left lane. I get over. And I get so mad at you cats, you rebellious cats, who get in the right lane and go a mile ahead of me and then get over at the last minute. I don't let you in. I don't care who you are. <laughs> I'm fighting to keep you around. I'm not letting you in. Because I followed the rules. I got left and suffered. So I get the idea of justice, okay, and fairness. Better than most of you. But you don't really want justice. You don't want justice. You don't want fairness. Because there's a lot more unfair than you. He goes into the next. You want to talk about injustice and unfairness? 
that he himself, that's Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live the righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. The ultimate injustice of all injustices happened when you who were guilty got to go free. Why? Because he who was innocent was nailed to a tree. That is injustice on a scale you cannot fathom. So, so, so let's not talk about, it's not fair, my boss is this, I got passed over from promotion, they don't like me at work. Uh, let's not talk about injustice. When you are God and you became sin, then you can talk about injustice. Until then, he is the example. And I know, look, I'm not saying it's easy, but what did he say earlier? Let me go back. You have been called to this. Christian, you've been called to this, Right? You, you got to get over your prosperity theology. If I obey, everything good happens. If I do all the right things and tithe and go to church, my life's going to be easy. Who said that? Not Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. Take courage. I've overcome the world. Right? So, so I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying that this, that's the reality. Right? All right. So back to our, back to our passage in 1 Timothy. Right? Verse 2. And, and again, big idea. Who's your boss? I don't care. Honor him. You show up tomorrow, you do a good job. Verse 2. And verse 2 is very simple, very simple idea. Uh, those who have believing masters. So that implies what? That the f- verse 1 is unbelieving, right? The jerk boss is probably not a Christian, right? So the, but, but those of you, some of you work for believing masters. He said, don't be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers or sisters. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit their good service are believers and beloved. The idea is this. Don't take advantage of the fact that your boss is a Christian. Because we do it all the time. A boss won't care if I'm a little late because I'm doing Bible study with my buddies. Boss won't care if I spend time, uh, a little extra time at lunch because I'm just meeting with my community group leader. What's he going to say? I'll go tell Pastor Bill. I'll tell you what Pastor Bill will say if he comes to me. I can tell you right now. You don't want to know. Uh, the boss won't care if I, if I take a few days off because oh, I'm going to go do a miss, missions trip. And he's not going to charge me vacation. And look, he may not. That's great. But he's saying don't take advantage of that situation. Right? Don't get all mad. Well, he's a Christian boss and he's making all this money and he should be paying me more. Don't get all bitter and mad and out of, out of shape. Don't take liberties and presume on them if your boss is a Christian. Don't go to a business that has a Christian business owner and expect just because they're Christian that they're going to give you the 50% off discount. If they do, great. Praise God. But don't go in thinking, well, I'm a Christian, he's a Christian, he should sell it to me for cost. That's, uh, we presume too much sometimes. And he might, and that's great. She might, that's great. But don't expect it just because you're Christian. He says, actually, you serve all the better. You ought to be even more diligent. Why? Because those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. If you do a rock star job and make your boss look good, guess what? He's going to be blessed, which is the goal anyway, because you're supposed to love your brother, and love means wanting the best for them. But let's assume that you rock it out, and he starts making more money. Guess what he might end up doing? He might end up being one of the guys who gave 10 grand last week for the Basoto people to get the word of God. He's advanced the gospel Because you rocked it out at work. And you'll get your reward one day in heaven, which is a lot more than 10 grand. The point is this. If your boss is a Christian, I want to make him look great. I want to make Jesus look great. And I know that there's some, you have, some of you have bosses that's like, oh, they say they're a Christian and they don't act like it. That's when you would trust yourself to a faithful creator and doing what is right. That's when you say, hey, God will deal with him. I got to do my part. 
It's not complex, but it ain't easy. And I get that, right? I get that. But your work, big picture, the way you honor your boss, the way you show up tomorrow, it is spiritual and it matters, y'all. It just does. And I want us to see that. Because what I really want is I want employers calling me and saying, do you guys got anybody at your church that's like looking for a job? Because I, I would love that. Because, because your reputation is rock star. That the business owners in here and the construction workers and the cops and the, and the soldiers and the school teachers and even, even the teenagers. I want the teenagers to be like, man, you great team. They kill it. That's what I want. Not because I want to look good, because it makes Jesus look good. Right? So let me give you some thoughts. Just why work matters, big picture thoughts, some are very generic. And, and understand this, I taught the men last, in this, this past spring in six, six sessions on, on, in the morning, 6.30 in the morning. We had about 30 guys show up in the beginning, and by the end, after time change, there's like 15 of us. But uh, we recorded all of them but one, and they're on our YouTube channel. And so if you want to go back and get a little more depth on some of these things, you, you're, 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 you're welcome to go do that. Um, but let me give you three big picture ideas about why it matters and just even a little bit more practical. And, and here's the first one, is that work shapes your character. Because ultimately work uh, is, a, is a mild form of suffering. Since the fall, now work is pre-fall, but, but there's, it's a mild form of suffering and endurance and, and struggle, right? It, since the curse of sin, it's not easy to close the deal. And, and there's rain when it should be nice out and I can't work. And there's all sorts of struggles that we face. That's one of the ways in which God sanctifies us and, and, and shapes us as our character. It teaches us to struggle. It teaches us to endure. It teaches us to be under authority. Here's a big one. It teaches us humility. And when we blow it off as if it's not important, we are actually blowing off one of the main ways in which God sanctifies his people and changes and molds his people. Right? It, it, it's, just, it's, a, it's a huge idea. Right? And so don't blow it off. Let God use it and teach you and all these things. And let me just address, again, I've done this a thousand times, but it's such a big deal, and I see it more and more, is parents. Parents, please teach your kids to work. And we've talked about from zero to six, you ought to be in the home establishing authority. The idea that, that there is someone who's over you and that they can follow instructions. But from 7 to 13, and the ages are a little bit, you know, fuzzy, but from 7 to, to 14, man, they ought to be developing responsibility. Chores, this, that, the other thing. Because when they're 14, you want to start facilitating independence and getting them ready to get out of the house. Because you ain't coming home at 22, 23. You've got two weeks to find you an apartment. And that's the idea. And we want to facilitate independence. But see, some of you are, because you failed to establish authority and develop responsibility from 0 to 13, now you're having to squeeze down on a 17-year-old's freedom when he's almost a man or he's almost a woman, and you have to treat him like they're four again because you didn't get them up front. And they're not ready to go out. And it, you got to start. And some of you are like, man, I got a 23-year-old. Hey, get him a job, kick him out. That's what I'm talking about. But... The idea of teaching them responsibility, chores, doing things, work, struggling. We have a culture of parents. It's my generation. It's, my, it's our weakness. We try to rescue our kids from everything. So if the kid gets a bad grade, what do we do? Email the teacher. Why is my kid not passing? Because he's slack and we fight for a good grade. Kid's not playing on the team. Got to call the coach. Make sure my kid gets equal playing time with them. Really? Why don't you tell your kid to get in the gym? Right? I, we, I see it all the time, and it drives me bonkers. Right? I mean, it just does. 
where, where parents are calling this and they're not letting kids struggle. Your kid wants to go to camp. You know what? You shouldn't stroke the check for them. You should get their tail out there to work. Go paint some daggum doors or something, whatever they're painting next week. You know, they want to go to some trip to somewhere, great. I'll pay 50%. Get out there and get a job. Some of you are just making it too easy. And what happens is we have a generation of college students that have experienced nothing. They know how to do nothing. They think they know everything because they've gone to class. And they get all mad at their parents who don't get involved in all these things that they're doing, even though the parents are the ones stoking the check and sending them to school. Have I got your attention yet? I'm like a little fire. I'm way off task here. But I'm just telling you, and, and young folks, I'm not, I'm not being, bashing you. I'm just, I'm just trying to get you ready for life because when you get out of school, there is no participation trophy. And if you have not prepared your kids for struggle and endurance, they're going to face a challenge and a hard boss, and they're not going to get hired out of college, and they're not going to be, Dad, I graduated, and they didn't hire me at $120,000 a year. I got a college degree. And they're going to have no clue how real life works. How did they learn that from work? It teaches humility. Here's another, another benefit of, of teaching uh, of work and struggle is, is that humility is required for spiritual growth. Some of you are going to send your kids off to Talavo uh, at, at high school camp in a couple weeks. That thing is about as good as any camp I've ever seen run. But I can tell you this, if they come with an arrogant spirit and an arrogant heart, I don't care how good the teaching is, how good the worship is, how good the Saturday night dance party is. They ain't going to learn nothing. Because you can't learn if you're arrogant. And if you're just like telling the kids that they're basically little gods and everything they want they get, what are they going to, they're going to learn a spiritual life. Why do they need a big God if they have an arrogant, well, I don't need God, I got everything I need. I'm just telling you, it's huge. Boys and girls, little boys, little girls, they need to both do it. Because Lord willing, Dads and moms, your little daughter one day, is she's going to walk down the aisle, you're going to walk her down the aisle of, of, of a, a young man, and you want her to be strong and, and to, to understand that she's to bring strength to this marriage. She, she's a partner. We talked a little bit about this and add strength to this relationship. And if she's never done anything for herself, all she got is a car when you, she wanted a car and this and this and this. She's, this guy is in trouble. Trouble with a capital T, because he's busting his tail for 42 grand a year, and she wants a new Beamer, and she wants to live on the water, and they're 26. I'm just telling you. All right, that's point one. I'm done here. <laughs> and hey, if you're a student, let me tell you this too. School matters. I'm not saying you got to be a straight A student, because some of you don't have that in you. I didn't. But I can tell you this, there's something, I know you might never use calculus again, and you might never write a paper on the PK man or the Mesopotamia or whatever. But here's the thing, if this is a task that God has in front of you, it matters. And you ought to do it as best as you can. Right? There's something about serving in obscurity, about being under authority, about excelling in the thing that's in front of you that will get you ready for the next thing. I'm just telling you. I know that, you know, most of you don't care about chemistry and balancing chemicals. I don't either. But I know what's important is that which God has you in right now. It's important to you. Number two is work brings glory to God. Bottom line, you're created in the image of a God who works, who creates, who makes. And he created this earth with plenty of potential. He doesn't make it finished. 
You can read the, the uh, Genesis 1 and 2. He kind of gives it all sorts of potential, and he says, now, man and woman, you guys do great stuff. That's how we get iPhones. That's how we have doctors who do these great surgeries, and we create buildings and stuff, because it has all sorts of potential, and it's your job to bring it out. Right? And it, when you do, when you're the plumber under, under the house that makes things right, or the builder who puts the studs where they're supposed to be, or the teacher who follows the lesson plans, and when you do it well, it brings glory to God because you're, you're modeling a God who is skillful and who is creative and who is at work. Jesus says, my father is working even now. Jesus is sustaining the universe right now by the word of his power. And it is, it is a hugely spiritual thing. When you're creating loans so people can get into houses, when you're a doctor that's healing people, when you're doing all these things, it is modeling the image of God. When you are just serving simply at the house, cleaning toilets, protecting from disease and nastiness, you are, image, you are modeling the image of God. It is a spiritual thing. And when you anchor it to the Christian worldview... If you don't anchor to the Christian worldview, then what are we going to say? If you're the CEO, you're the most important. If you're the secretary, you're not. That is a very humanistic worldview. The Christian worldview says, I'm going to be the best secretary because my boss is Jesus. And makes everything have value. Typing, making phone calls, making deliveries, it's all value. The culture has sold you a bill of goods saying that your job can be the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate this. But Christians have said, no, 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 we can't. Only Jesus can. And we've completely downplayed the value of work. And I would say it's true that you can't, you know, your soul cannot be carried uh, the weight of, of work. But I would also say this. Don't downplay it to the point where it's does, it doesn't matter. Because it does matter. And there is fulfillment in it because you're carrying God's image. And you are working. Guess what you're going to be doing in the kingdom? You're going to be working. You're not going to be singing the entire eternity. All right, didn't we just sing crown him with many crowns like 10 years ago? Uh, you're not, you are going to be doing things. The difference is it won't be work. I don't know what even that means. <clears throat> but I know this, you are going to be doing something because that's what you're created to do because that's what God does. It brings glory to God. Third and last thing is that work creates a credibility for the gospel. It just does. Whether you ever even have an opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus or not, what they will see is, I don't even agree with that dude and his little theology or whatever he believes, but I know this, he believes it, and I would love to have a more, bunch of more of him because he's great to my customers, he's great to me, and he shows up and he does his job. It brings cred. It just does. Right? It just, it just does. When we are the kind of people that show up tomorrow, y'all, church starts tomorrow. Being the church, start, you got to be on shift tonight, starts tonight. That's being the church. I just, I want you to see that. Are you, are, you, are you getting this? And nod your head if you're grasping this. This is important. That is important too. And, and that is where we make disciples. That is where we see fruit. That is, that is the, probably the best pre-evangelistic opportunity you have is showing up and doing a rock star job. Then you have credibility to say, you know why I do a great job? It's because I have a, a God who... I serve, and I, I just want to be great for him, right? And so maybe some of you need to go back in with a renewed fervor at work, even though you hate your job, and that's fine. Go start searching for another one, but and while you're there, you're going to kill it. And maybe you need to apologize to some people, and maybe to your boss. Rethinking, am, am I adding to the glory of God tomorrow? Am I giving credibility to the gospel, or am I stealing it? That's what you got to ask. Great questions for us, right? Starts tomorrow, y'all. Not now, it starts tomorrow.
right? And that is just as holy, just as spiritual as you reading your Bible for four hours at Starbucks that you were created to do, to glorify God in your work. Work matters. It shapes and grows us, brings him glory, and it gives you credit for the gospel. I'm late. Let's sing. Stand. But I can tell you what, your high schoolers are doing chores this afternoon, I guarantee it. Let me pray. <laughs> Father, I thank you for the ability to do things and to model your image and to worship through serving and, and being a blessing to others. And so I just pray, I, we talk a lot about this, but that's because you do. Um, I pray that we would be a, a group of people, and some of us are struggling, we don't like our jobs, our bosses are hard, and I... I am sensitive and get that, but with a renewed fervor for the glory of Christ and to serve the Lord Christ that tomorrow, tonight, wherever we would show up, maybe we're just working at home, but we would see that as we serve little kids breakfast and make lunches and we clean up, that we would see even even that we are serving the Lord Christ. There's value, it is worship, it is good, that that would be our mentality, that we would truly be the church and that would be a way we do it. Thank you for modeling sacrifice to us in the gospel of giving away everything for the sake of others. We pray it in Jesus' name.